Section 22 of A Theological-Political Treatise by Baruch Benedict de Spinoza, translated by Robert Harvey Munro Elvis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Prasto. Chapter 20. That in a free state every man may think what he likes and say what he thinks. If men's minds were as easily controlled as their tongues, every king would sit safely on his throne, and government by compulsion would cease for every subject would shape his life according to the intentions of his rulers and would esteem a thing true or false good or evil just or unjust in obedience to their dictates however we have shown already chapter seventeen that no man's mind can possibly lie wholly at the disposition of another for no one can willingly transfer his natural right of free reason and judgment or be compelled to do so for this reason government which attempts to control minds is accounted tyrannical and it is considered an abuse of sovereignty and a usurpation of the rights of subjects to seek to prescribe what shall be accepted as true or rejected as false or what opinions should actuate men in their worship of god all these questions fall within a man's natural right which he cannot abdicate even with his own consent i admit that the judgment can be biased in many ways and to an almost incredible degree so that while exempt from direct external control it may be so dependent on another man's words that it may fitly be said to be ruled by him but although this influence is carried to great lengths it has never gone so far as to invalidate the statement that every man's understanding is his own and that brains are as diverse as palates moses not by fraud but by divine virtue gained such a hold over the popular judgment that he was accounted superhuman and believed to speak and act through the inspiration of the deity nevertheless even he could not escape murmurs and evil interpretations how much less then can other monarchs avoid them yet such unlimited power if it exists at all must belong to a monarch and least of all to a democracy where the whole or a great part of the people wield authority collectively this is a fact which i think every one can explain for himself however unlimited therefore the power of the sovereign may be however implicitly it is trusted as the exponent of law and religion it can never prevent men from forming judgments according to their intellect or being influenced by any given emotion it is true that it has a right to treat as enemies all men whose opinions do not on all subjects entirely coincide with its own but we are not discussing its strict rights but its proper course of action i grant that it has the right to rule in the most violent manner and to put citizens to death for very trivial causes but no one supposes it can do this with the approval of sound judgment nay inasmuch as such things cannot be done without extreme peril to itself we may even deny that it has the absolute power to do them or consequently the absolute right for the rights of the sovereign are limited by his power since therefore no one can abdicate his freedom of judgment and feeling since every man is by indefeasible natural right the master of his own thoughts it follows that men thinking in diverse and contradictory fashions cannot without disastrous results be compelled to speak only according to the dictates of the supreme power not even the most experienced to say nothing of the multitude know how to keep silence men's common failing is to confide their plans to others though there be need for secrecy so that a government would be most harsh which deprived the individual of his freedom of saying and teaching what he thought and would be moderate if such freedom were granted still we cannot deny that authority may be as much injured by words as by actions hence although the freedom we are discussing cannot be entirely denied to subjects its unlimited concession would be most baneful we must therefore now inquire how far such freedom can and ought to be conceded without danger to the peace of the state or the power of the rulers 
and this as i said at the beginning of chapter sixteen is my principal object it follows plainly from the explanation given above of the foundations of a state that the ultimate aim of government is not to rule or restrain by fear nor to exact obedience but contrarywise to free every man from fear that he may live in all possible security in other words to strengthen his natural right to exist and work without injury to himself or others no the object of government is not to change men from rational beings into beasts or puppets but to enable them to develop their minds and bodies in security and to employ their reason unshackled neither showing hatred anger or deceit nor watched with the eyes of jealousy and injustice in fact the true aim of government is liberty now we have seen that in forming a state the power of making laws must either be vested in the body of the citizens or in a portion of them or in one man for although men's free judgments are very diverse each one thinking that he alone knows everything and although complete unanimity of feeling and speech is out of the question it is impossible to preserve peace unless individuals abdicate their right of acting entirely on their own judgment therefore the individual justly cedes the right of free action though not of free reason and judgment no one can act against the authorities without danger to the state though his feelings and judgment may be at variance therewith he may even speak against them provided that he does so from rational conviction not from fraud anger or hatred and provided that he does not attempt to introduce any change on his private authority for instance supposing a man shows that a law is repugnant to sound reason and should therefore be repealed if he submits his opinion to the judgment of the authorities who alone have the right of making and repealing laws and meanwhile acts in no wise contrary to that law he has deserved well of the state and has behaved as a good citizen should but if he accuses the authorities of injustice and stirs up the people against them or if he seditiously strives to abrogate the law without their consent he is a mere agitator and rebel thus we see how an individual may declare and teach what he believes without injury to the authority of his rulers or to the public peace namely by leaving in their hands the entire power of legislation as it affects action and by doing nothing against their laws though he be compelled often to act in contradiction to what he believes and openly feels to be best such a course can be taken without detriment to justice and dutifulness nay it is the one which a just and dutiful man would adopt we have shown that justice is dependent on the laws of the authorities so that no one who contravenes their accepted decrees can be just while the highest regard for duty as we have pointed out in the preceding chapter is exercised in maintaining public peace and tranquillity these could not be preserved if every man were to live as he pleased therefore it is no less than undutiful for a man to act contrary to his country's laws for if the practice became universal the ruin of states would necessarily follow hence so long as a man acts in obedience to the laws of his rulers he in no wise contravenes his reason for in obedience to reason he transferred the right of controlling his actions from his own hands to theirs this doctrine we can confirm from actual custom for in a conference of great and small powers schemes are seldom carried unanimously yet all unite in carrying out what is decided on whether they voted for or against but i return to my proposition from the fundamental notions of a state we have discovered how a man may exercise free judgment without detriment to the supreme power from the same premises we can no less easily determine what opinions would be seditious evidently those which by their very nature nullify the compact by which the right of free action was ceded 
for instance a man who holds that the supreme power has no rights over him or that promises ought not to be kept or that every one should live as he pleases or other doctrines of this nature in direct opposition to the above-mentioned contract is seditious not so much from his actual opinions and judgment as from the deeds which they involve for he who maintains such theories abrogates the contract which tacitly or openly he made with his rulers other opinions which do not involve acts violating the contract such as revenge anger and the like are not seditious unless it be in some corrupt state where superstitious and ambitious persons unable to endure men of learning are so popular with the multitude that their word is more valued than the law however i do not deny that there are some doctrines which while they are apparently only concerned with abstract truths and falsehoods are yet propounded and published with unworthy motives the question we have discussed in chapter fifteen and show that reason should nevertheless remain unshackled if we hold the principle that a man's loyalty to the state should be judged like his loyalty to god from his actions only namely from his charity towards his neighbours we cannot doubt that the best government will allow freedom of philosophical speculation no less than of religious belief i confess that from such freedom inconveniences may sometimes arise but what question was ever settled so wisely that no abuses could possibly spring therefrom he who seeks to regulate everything by law is more likely to arouse vices than to reform them it is best to grant what cannot be abolished even though it be in itself harmful how many evils spring from luxury envy avarice drunkenness and the like yet these are tolerated vices as they are because they cannot be prevented by legal enactments how much more then should free thought be granted seeing that it is in itself a virtue and that it cannot be crushed besides the evil results can easily be checked as i will show by the secular authorities not to mention that such freedom is absolutely necessary for progress in science and the liberal arts for no man follows such pursuits to advantage unless his judgment be entirely free and unhampered but let it be granted that freedom may be crushed and men be so bound down that they do not dare to utter a whisper save at the bidding of their rulers nevertheless this can never be carried to the pitch of making them think according to authority so that the necessary consequences would be that men would daily be thinking one thing and saying another to the corruption of good faith that mainstay of government and to the fostering of hateful flattery and perfidy whence spring stratagems and the corruption of every good art it is far from possible to impose uniformity of speech for the more rulers strive to curtail freedom of speech the more obstinately are they resisted not indeed by the avaricious the flatterers and other numbskulls who think supreme salvation consists in filling their stomachs and gloating over their money-bags but by those whom good education sound morality and virtue have rendered more free men as generally constituted are most prone to resent the branding as criminal of opinions which they believe to be true and the proscriptions as wicked of that which inspires them with piety towards god and man hence they are ready to forswear the laws and conspire against the authorities thinking it not shameful but honourable to stir up seditions and perpetuate any sort of crime with this end in view such being the constitution of human nature we see that laws directed against opinions affect the generous-minded rather than the wicked and are adapted less for coercing criminals than for irritating the upright so that they cannot be maintained without great peril to the state moreover such laws are almost always useless for those who hold that the opinions proscribed are sound cannot possibly obey the law whereas those who already reject them as false 
accept the law as a kind of privilege and make such boast of it that authority is powerless to repeal it even if such a course be subsequently desired to these considerations may be added what we said in chapter eighteen in treating of the history of the hebrews and lastly how many schisms have arisen in the church from the attempt of the authorities to decide by law the intricacies of theological controversy if men were not allured by the hope of getting the law and the authorities on their side of triumphing over their adversaries in the sight of an applauding multitude and of acquiring honourable distinctions they would not strive so maliciously nor would such fury sway their minds this is taught not only by reason but by daily examples for laws of this kind prescribing what every man shall believe and forbidding any one to speak or write to the contrary have often been passed as sops or concessions to the anger of those who cannot tolerate men of enlightenment and who by such harsh and crooked enactments can easily turn the devotion of the masses into fury and direct it against whom they will how much better would it be to restrain popular angst and fury instead of passing useless laws which can only be broken by those who love virtue and the liberal arts thus paring down the state till it is too small to harbour men of talent what greater misfortune for a state can be conceived than that honourable men should be sent like criminals into exile because they hold diverse opinions which they cannot disguise what i say can be more hurtful than that men who have committed no crime or wickedness should simply because they are enlightened be treated as enemies and put to death and that the scaffold the terror of evil-doers should become the arena where the highest examples of tolerance and virtue are displayed to the people with all the marks of ignominy that authority can devise he that knows himself to be upright does not fear the death of a criminal and shrinks from no punishment his mind is not wrung with remorse for any disgraceful deed he holds that death in a good cause is no punishment but an honour and that death for freedom is glory what purpose then is served by the death of such men what example is proclaimed the cause for which they die is unknown to the idle and the foolish hateful to the turbulent loved by the upright the only lesson we can draw from such scenes is to flatter the persecutor or else to imitate the victim if formal assent is not to be esteemed above conviction and if governments are to retain a firm hold of authority and not be compelled to yield to agitators it is imperative that freedom of judgment should be granted so that men may live together in harmony however diverse or even openly contradictory their opinions may be we cannot doubt that such is the best system of government and open to the fewest objections since it is the one most in harmony with human nature in a democracy the most natural form of government as we have shown in chapter sixteen every one submits to the control of authority over his actions but not over his judgment and reason that is seeing that all cannot think alike the voice of the majority has the force of law subject to repeal if circumstances bring about a change of opinion in proportion as the power of free judgment is withheld we depart from the natural condition of mankind and consequently the government becomes more tyrannical in order to prove that from such freedom no inconvenience arises which cannot easily be checked by the exercise of the sovereign power and that men's actions can easily be kept in bounds though their opinions be at open variance it will be well to cite an example such an one is not very far to seek the city of amsterdam reaps the fruit of this freedom in its own great prosperity and in the admiration of all other people for in this most flourishing state and most splendid city men of every nation and religion live together in the greatest harmony and ask no questions before trusting their goods to a fellow-citizen save whether he be rich or poor and whether he generally acts honestly or the reverse his religion and sect is considered of no importance 
for it has no effect before the judges in gaining or losing a cause, and there is no sect so despised that its followers, provided that they harm no one, pay every man his due, and live uprightly, are deprived of the protection of the magisterial authority. On the other hand, when the religious controversy between remonstrance and counter-remonstrance began to be taken up by politicians and the states, it grew into a schism, and abundantly showed that laws dealing with religion and seeking to settle its controversies are much more calculated to irritate than to reform, and that they give rise to extreme license. Further, it was seen that schisms do not originate in a love of truth, which is a source of courtesy and gentleness, but rather in an inordinate desire for supremacy. From all these considerations it is clearer than the sun at noonday, that the true schismatics are those who condemn other men's writings and seditiously stir up the quarrelsome masses against their authors, rather than those authors themselves, who generally write only for the learned and appeal solely to reason. In fact, the real disturbers of the peace are those who, in a free state, seek to curtail the liberty of judgment which they are unable to tyrannize over. I have thus shown, one, that it is impossible to deprive men of the liberty of saying what they think, two, that such liberty can be conceded to every man without injury to the rights and authority of the sovereign power, and that every man may retain it without injury to such rights, provided that he does not presume upon it to the extent of introducing any new rights into the state, or acting in any way contrary to the existing laws. 3. That every man may enjoy this liberty without detriment to the public peace, and that no inconvenience arises therefrom which cannot easily be checked. 4. That every man may enjoy it without injury to his allegiance. 5. That laws dealing with speculative problems are entirely useless. 6. Lastly, that not only may such liberty be granted without prejudice to the public peace, to loyalty, and to the rights of rulers, but that it is even necessary for their preservation. For when people try to take it away and bring to trial not only the acts which alone are capable of offending, but also the opinions of mankind, they only succeed in surrounding their victims with an appearance of martyrdom, and raise feelings of pity and revenge rather than of terror. Uprightedness and good faith are thus corrupted, flatterers and traitors are encouraged, and sectarians triumph, inasmuch as concessions have been made to their animosity, and they have gained the state's sanction for the doctrines of which they are the interpreters. Hence they arrogate to themselves the state authority and rights, and do not scruple to assert they have been directly chosen by God, and that their laws are divine, whereas the laws of the state are human, and should therefore yield obedience to the laws of God, in other words, to their own laws. Every one must see that this is not a state of affairs conducive to public welfare. Wherefore, as we have shown in chapter 18, the safest way for a state is to lay down the rule that religion is comprised solely in the exercise of charity and justice, and that the rights of rulers in sacred, no less than in secular matters, should merely have to do with actions, but that every man should think what he likes and say what he thinks. I have thus fulfilled the task I set myself in this treatise. It remains only to call attention to the fact that I have written nothing which I do not most willingly submit to the examination and approval of my country's rulers, and that I am willing to retract anything which they shall decide to be repugnant to the laws or prejudicial to the public good. I know that I am a man, and as a man liable to error, but against error I have taken scrupulous care, and have striven to keep an entire accordance with the laws of my country, with loyalty and with morality. End of section 22 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama. End of a theological political treatise by Burke Benedict de Spinoza, translated by Robert Harvey Monroe Elvis.